0: we can see in our world clearly how little things can have great power and make a huge impact for example you may have heard of a tiny microscopic thing called coronavirus Um, maybe you've heard some things about that in the media i don't know Um, so we've seen how this tiny little microscopic thing has the power to upend our world and our lives and literally shut down the globe hello there's no one in the stands at the olympics right now like it's just so weird i'm so glad that they put all the seats different colors because it just makes it look better right than just empty seats all the same color relatedly uh, a supply chain issue somewhere with lumber can cause the home prices in our city, in our state, in our nation, and across the globe to skyrocket right now, right? We have uh, tiny little devices that we carry in our pockets, these smartphones, and they are small, but they're having a massive impact on our society and how we do things and on our world and on our worldview. Like things are rapidly changing all across the globe because of a small device. We have computer chips that fit on the tips of our fingers, and they're more powerful uh, than, the, um, than the ones that used to fill the rooms. You know, the old computers that they had like a whole floor of a building was the computer. And now this tiny little thing is more powerful, more capable. And it's, it's having a significant impact on our world, and a Japanese plant can burn down somewhere, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's no cars on the car lot in, in Houston, Texas, because a little thing can have a, a massive impact. It has great power. And today, um, the message that I want to bring to you is this, the little things. I want to talk to us today about the little things that have big impacts in our lives. We're going to be reading the end of the book of Colossians. We're finishing the series, a series called Full. And what we've been doing over the course of this series is reading through the book of Colossians. And it's filled with these amazing truths. We, we see this, this uh, picture of Jesus, and it's the fullest Theological, you know, succinct expression of Jesus that we have in the entire Scriptures, and then Paul says that all the fullness of God's nature dwelt bodily in Jesus, and that's like what, fully man, fully God, like it's it's mind blowing. And then the following sentence is even more mind blowing: You have been given fullness in Him. What? And he begins to unpack that for us. And we've seen the gospel of how God chose us and he called us and he, like, reached out for us when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. He made us alive in Jesus. Like, he did this on our behalf. Like, he reached to us. And then at the end here, Paul gets really practical. Like, what does it look like for us to live from the fullness of God? The fullness of God of Jesus. And we're going to be in the last part of the letter, and it's the part that you kind of start tuning out on. It's like when you know the credits are about to roll, and you're like, I kind of know how this ends. They're going to like all high five and hug each other, and the story's resolved, and I'm just like going to start looking at my phone or picking out the next show, right, because I know how this ends. And, and some credits are going to roll that we're going to read, okay? And you're going to want to check out. But I, I just want to point out to us three little things that Paul mentions in the final instructions. And I just want us to kind of think about, like, what are the implications of those little things? Before I do that, I found a quote uh, from Mother Teresa. I mean, come on. And everything she said is gold, right? I mean, if you just put Mother Teresa at the bottom of a quote, we're all like, wow like, that's profound. And it is profound. She said, little things are indeed little, but to be faithful in little things is a great thing. My hunch is that the reason why you know who Mother Teresa even is, a Catholic nun from India, the only way that you would know her name is that she was so faithful in little things, caring for sick people, that the whole world stopped and said, wow, it was a great thing. And so the quote is so poignant for her life. As we look at the three little things I just want us to consider that these are part and parcel of the fullness of life that we have in Jesus. To live from these is part of the the full life. But if we're honest, okay, if if we're really honest with ourselves, if I am honest with myself, I've been so convicted as I've read this this week, most of us are neglecting the little things. And just as the little things have great power, when we're faithful in them, there's also a great effect of neglecting the little things. Does that make sense what I'm saying? When we neglect them, there is a great effect on our life, and obviously it's not a great effect. It's not a good effect. And so this passage speaks to the incredible promise and potential of little things, but also I think it challenges us to consider, like, am I doing that? So, let's read together from Colossians chapter 4. I've got a a slide that has the the same translation that I'm reading from. If you want to follow there, if you have a copy of the scriptures or an app that you read the Bible from, you know, obviously, please pull that out and use that. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, again, writing to the Colossians. And here's what he says starting in verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Verse five, act wisely, toward outsiders making the most of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person this is where the credits are going to start to roll this is where you're going to start to want to check out but don't check out because there's some things in here that i want us to see verse 7 tishikas our dearly loved brother faithful minister and fellow servant in the lord will tell you all the news about me I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who's one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, so does Mark Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. There's a little bit of backstory. Uh, John Mark, or uh, um, Mark that he calls him here, they had a conflict, and it was so sharp that they divided ways, and now there's been this reconciliation. It's like, hey, receive him, okay? Verse 11, so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of, these alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, They've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, the guy who, by the way, planted the church that Paul's writing to, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. This is cool. He's always wrestling for you in his prayer so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you. For those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Verse 14, Luke, the dearly loved physician in Demas, send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering. This is cool. They've been re- the church has been reading this letter in gatherings for almost 2,000 years. You're joining in this ancient practice of reading scripture after this letter has been read at your gathering have it read also in the church of the laodiceans and so that you also read the letter from laodicea tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the lord so that you can accomplish it i paul am writing this greeting with my own hand remember my chains grace be with you this is the word of the lord So I want to point out three things, and the first two are very explicit. You saw them. You caught them already. The third is implicit. It's Paul's example. The reason why I wanted to kind of lean in as we were reading that last section, because I think there's something important for us to see in what Paul does here. Before I share those three things, I think it's important that we understand that already at the very beginning... The church was recognizing apostolic authority and divine inspiration in these letters. That's why Paul says, I want you to swap these letters with these people. I use a phrase when I read scripture and I say, this is the word of the Lord. Now, if you're new with us, you're like, oh, that's weird. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you've almost tuned it out because I say it every time. You're like, this is what he says, he reads it. And then he says, this is the word of the Lord. I don't know why he does that, that's weird. Okay, let me tell you why I do that that little phrase has massive implications. If you believe this is the inspired word of God, which by the way, it is, that when you read it, it's different than reading an article, or a blog, or a book, or a journal, or a magazine, it's different because this has the, the fingerprints, the revelation, the, the divine um, revelation of God for our souls, and when we read it, there's something different in how we approach it. We listen differently knowing that this is God's word, and when it speaks, I need to pay attention, and I need to apply it to my life. And already we saw in verse 16, they're seeing this is divinely inspired from Paul. Okay, that was my sidebar. Number one, the first thing that we see Paul um, showing us in verse two, he says this, it's a little thing. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert. In it with thanksgiving and at the same time pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ Paul tells these people to devote themselves to prayer the first thing that I want us to see is persistence in prayer it's the little thing that Paul points them to to be persistent in prayer and again I know it seems like a little thing when when you're at church and you share something that's going on with your life or your family or your health and that person says to you, I'll pray for you, you're like, great. Or maybe you're thinking like that's the context clue meaning like our conversation's almost over and we're about to walk away. When we all say, well, I'll pray for you, it's like, okay, bye, right? Cause it's like a little clue. If you're if you're new to church, sometimes that happens, okay? A little, you gotta learn the, the Christianese kind of things. But what if, what if we said, you're going to pray to God? creator of the universe all powerful king of kings lord of lords who can do anything that he wills and desires you're going to talk to him you're going to ask him for something on my behalf wow i'll pray for you that's actually it sounds so little but it's big, it's a big thing. It seems little because it's largely unseen, right? Someone could say, I'll pray for you, and you have no idea if they ever did. They might have forgot about you, jerks, right? I said I was gonna pray for you, and I honestly, I didn't even think about it. That was just me saying goodbye at church, right? Bye. (laughs) Can we skip that and just say bye instead of I'll pray for you? Because I feel like there needs to be a return of just like wonder and awe about the simple act of prayer. Jesus promised talking about prayer, your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, there's a if you're like me, there's there's that part of us that's kind of praying in the background, like you're driving to work, and you're kind of praying when you're driving, right? You're, um, you know, you're walking. You're, maybe you're a bike rider. Maybe, you know, you have things that you do and there's just kind of this thing going on in the background, like we're praying constantly. And I I think that's so good and so healthy. I mean, if you're gonna think about something in the background of your mind, I think it should be prayer. Like, let's think about God. Let's lift things to God, right? And it's the secret thing. It's like nobody even knows you're doing it. But I just wonder if we've said, I'm just gonna pray little prayers kind of as I go, but we never actually persist or devote ourselves to to stopping and to praying. And I think it reveals that, honestly, we have a lot of small ideas about prayer. Scripture constantly, consistently calls us to prayer, and yet, I'll be honest, from my own heart and probably from most of us in the room is that we consistently neglect to pray to stop and to ask and to seek God. You see the prayerless life is a powerless life. It's not powerful. The prayerless life is self-focused and it's self-dependent and it's focused on what can I do? How can I fix this? What, what can I um, bring to this situation? The only problem is that man's ways can only achieve man's results. And we can do some things, but we can't do the thing. The prayerful life is God-focused and God-dependent. And God's ways will get God's results. Now just consider that. that God's ways produce God's results. I don't know what you are facing or what you are, are about to face, but I'm just guessing that there are some things going on in your life, in your family, and maybe in your, in your own health, your spirit, your heart, and you need God's results. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we will pursue God's ways and do the little thing, to be faithful in it, to prayer, the word Devote. The Greek root means to be strong in it. To be strong in it. It's fervent, it's persistent. It's attending continually. It's, it's like great effort that's steadily applied. And If you were just kind of, you had these bit, massive objects in your life that you're trying to just kind of move them along, and, and I just feel like prayer is just sort of a, I'm going to apply myself steadily to these things that I'm just asking God for. I'm, I'm just steadily applying this great effort. You know, prayer is simply talking to God in um if you are married, uh, if you have tried not talking to your spouse, how's that going? Or how did that go for you? Probably not great. Because relationships require communication. Communication is where I do some talking and I do some listening. And prayers like that. It's where we simply talk to God. Tell him, you know, what's going on? And then it's like, Lord, I'm I don't know what to do, would you just speak to me, listening? Paul says to stay alert in it. And it's to watch, If hopefully you're alert right now, you're not about to fall asleep here at church today, at Renaissance Church, because we know it's so exciting here that you would never fall asleep in a church service, right? But to stay alert is to be awake, aware, watchful. You're alert to what's going on the Greek root has this kind of three-dimensional idea of raising up to to rise. And uh, I I was thinking how big things look here on the ground level. Like, you know, uh, Dave back here is six foot six. And when I see Dave, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's tall. And I, I shake his hand and he like crushes my arm off. And then I have to, you know, try to get better before I come up here and have to hold my Bible, right? Because it's like, you know, this is a big dude, right? And so there's things in our life that just, that seem so big to us. But prayer right-sizes things. We raise up. We rise, we, we're watchful, we're staying alert to what's happening, we're, we're alert to our hearts and our lives and alert to spiritual warfare and we're alert to God, like we're watching for him and we are fully awake. And when we can get heaven's perspective on what's going on down here, it's like all of a sudden the things that felt so big and so overwhelming and so strong, it's like now I can see Like it's not as big as I thought. Because I have heaven's perspective, and I'm calling on heaven's resources. Pastor Larry Walkenmeyer, he um, talks about it like snorkeling, swimming in the waters below while breathing the air from above. This idea of prayer being air that we breathe as we're just kind of down here in the thick of things. But we need the air of heaven. I love the example that Paul gives of Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, you know, the guy that planted the church, he's one of you, um, servant of Christ Jesus. He says, Hello. Oh, and I just want you to know something about him. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers. Wow. What an example. He's always wrestling. I, just, I don't know what that looked like as Paul was sitting in a jail cell and people were coming to visit him and, and maybe they're in this little tiny space and Paul's like, you know, talking to this guy next, but Paphros is over here in the corner and he's just like, he's just praying, God, be, be with this church, be with these people, help them, Father. He's wrestling, so that they could stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. And and I love this. He says, I testify about him that he works hard for you. And what kind of hard work was he doing? Was he building a fence outside at this moment? I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's working hard. He's connecting prayer with the work. There's a great quote by Oswald Chambers, and he says, uh, prayer... Prayer is not what we do to prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so, friends, I just want to ask, are you devoted in prayer? Are you persistent in prayer? The gospel tells us through the finished work of Jesus, through the the full forgiveness that Jason was talking about, that there's this massive open sign on the courts of heaven if, uh Hebrews four says that we can go confidently and boldly before the throne of grace. And So through Jesus, there's this open sign on heaven. It's like, come, pray, talk to me. And I just wonder if the people of God are like, I'm just so busy. I got so much going on. I have a scroll sesh I'm deep into here, God, on Facebook. It's gonna be like a a solid hour probably, right? (laughs) I'm so busy. And I think the, the call, the invitation of heaven is, come and pray. Devote yourselves in prayer. It's a little thing. Paul goes from prayer to share. He goes from the inward call to prayer to the, outward call to the lost in verses five and six he, he says to them act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person now when he says outsiders um it's probably you know not how you would say it today you know there's no sign out front of our church that says welcome Outsiders." <laughs> Glad you're here today. But that word outsiders, it was those that were without. And what he's saying is like those who are not in Christ, those who are not a part of the family, they're not born again in Jesus. And he's like, when you're among people that are non-believers, I want you to act wisely. The the second thing is wise action and gracious speech amongst non-believers. That's what he's talking about. And he tells them, act wisely. Which means that there are a whole selection or or options of actions that we can pursue with people who are not believers. And some of those actions are wise and some of those actions are unwise. And he's saying, I really want you to pick the wise ones. Act wisely. Why? Because I think Paul... His heart breaks for people that don't know the power, the love, the grace of God in Jesus. And he doesn't want them to miss out on the better story that we have to tell with our lives. He wants us to to be bringing a powerful, attractive testimony about Jesus in its wise Actions. Now I, I, I know um, that we're called to some big things in life. You know, there there's big things that we're called to for the sake of advancing the gospel. There's big commitments that we make. There there are big sacrifices, big faith steps, big generosity. and, And it's all connected to advancing the gospel. I mean, the Lord called my family to move here. And we left a job that paid more money in a town that, you know, if you were to rate like towns, coolest towns to live, it would probably be on the top 10 of the coolest towns to live in. Richmond is the coolest town to live in, by the way. It was number one. But these were on the top 10 right? I know. It's the best place in the world. It was a big faith step, and I'm not discounting big faith steps. Some of you may be called to some big steps. Some of you might be going overseas, like God has plans for you. You're going to go move to another state, another city, another country, and we're going to pray over you. We're going to bless you. We're going we're to celebrate the big steps, but the wording that Paul's using is, is about little things that apply to everybody because The third, the the red banner back there, our our core purpose is that we believe every person is called to live on mission. That God has uniquely gifted each one of us with spiritual gifts and natural gifts to be used by him to to share the, the, the message of Jesus with people that only we get to interact with. I don't interact with people that you interact with. God's called us to live on mission and, and there are little things, little wise actions, and they can be the simplest little things, like a smile to a neighbor, right? A wave to a neighbor. If you don't live in a waving neighborhood, that's like, did they just wave? And don't do the, like the finger up because everyone's confused. Like, was that a wave? Was two fingers, were, he was, his hand was on the steering wheel and he did two fingers, Is he waving? You know, so just make it clear. Do one of these. Hey. Little things that are wise. Maybe it's interacting with your neighbors, your friends, or your coworkers, and it's like the conversation goes to a place and you're like, if I go there with them, I am now on unwise ground. So I'm gonna back off of that one. Wait for them to finish that, and then jump in whenever the subject changes to something that I can engage in. Little wise actions. I uh, read the story this week of how A.W. Tozer came to know the Lord, and he, one day he was walking, well, he, he knew that his next door neighbor was a Christian. He didn't even know the neighbor's first name It was Mr. Holman. Mr. Holman was a Christian. That's all they knew about him. One day he's walking down the street, and the man was very kind. He was consistently kind. And the neighbor asked him, I've been wondering if you're a Christian, if you've been uh, converted, and I'd love to talk to you about that. A.W. Tozer was about 17 years old, probably a little bit sheepishly said, "Uh, no, I'm not converted. Thank you for asking me that, and I'll give it some serious thought. Parted ways. Not long after that, he walked past a street preacher, and he heard him talk about the call of Jesus where he said, come unto me. And then he heard him uh, quote the sinner's prayer, have mercy on me, O Lord. And he says, yeah, I went straight home and I walked into my house. I walked upstairs into the attic and I gave my heart to Jesus. A little thing. <laughs> I was wondering if you're a Christian. But it set off this inner searching journey inside of a man who became a prolific author pastor whose writings are like you know this is the inspired word and his are just like right here okay on the shelf i love the rice beautiful amazing story of a wise action and gracious speech there's this um quote that we Often quote, we've heard preachers say it, and it's from Saint Francis of Assisi, and it says, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Have y'all heard that before? Preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. I think I have a slide for that. See if you can pull that up. Have y'all seen that before? A church, maybe you've heard you know a preacher talk about it, and you're like, Oh, thank you. Right? because I hate talking about my faith freaks me out so I'm going to preach the gospel at all times I'm only going to use words when necessary here's the problem Saint Francis of Assisi never ever said that that's a total misquote can you go to the next slide for me Busted, okay? That is totally busted. Mythbusters is on the scene, and we have proven that is not true. He did not say that. Here's what, here's what Romans 10, 14 says. How can they believe without hearing about him? Paul says faith comes from hearing, and that about the message of Christ. And so he says not just wise action, but gracious speech. I want you to use some words, some faithful, gracious words. And he talks about salt, that it should season and flavor our conversations with people that do not know the Lord. And my friends, there are so many bad testimonies out there. Let's be honest. All the time, a new headline, you know, mega pastor fired, priest abuses child. It's like, I'm so sick of the bad story. It's empty Christians behaving badly, people who cannot or have not figured out how to live from the fullness, and God's calling us to live from the fullness of Jesus and to tell the better story. So, have we neglected the little things to tell the better story of the lost? Just know that God has called you and gifted you and chosen you because he wants to use you. Last thing, number three, honoring one another. It's an implicit. It's implied in what Paul does because he, he, he gives us the list and it's the thing that struck me about this part of the letter is you, we have these names, Tishikas, and, and, and then he tells us something about them. He is a dearly loved brother. Faithful minister, a fellow servant. Onesimus. By the way, this letter came with another letter called Philemon. And in that letter, he's going to beg the, um, the master over Onesimus, who is a slave to basically release him to Paul. Like, let him come and be with me and serve me. And, and here's what he says. He's a faithful and dearly loved brother equal status with me faithful and dearly loved brother aristarchus right a fellow prisoner mark is reconciled we have these people who've been a comfort to him we have epaphras wrestling in prayer you know he's this faithful wonderful person it's like these lists and it's always followed with this incredible like Encouraging descriptor. Don't you love it when people say good things about you? Does anyone ever say good things about you? No? Okay. We're going to do that as a church body one day. We're just going to bless each other because you need to hear some people say some good things about you. It's called honoring one another. Now, Paul does explicitly say it in Romans 12:10. He says, Love one another deeply. As brothers and sisters and he says take the lead in honoring one another take the lead here's the problem i found it's really hard to honor others when i'm not living from the fullness of christ because what happens is when I'm not living from the fullness of what Jesus has done for me and said about me and promised in his word towards me that I can receive, it's like my heart gets really empty and what happens is all this ugly stuff starts to come out of my heart. I'm filled with not the fullness of God, I'm filled with comparison. And I look at your Facebook and I'm like, dang, life is good over there. My life stinks. Or, Man, I, I, I think I might have looked that good at one point, but man, hmm. Now that I'm uh, over the hill, right? And we have comparisons that come out of our lives. We have competition. Like we just can't bless one another because you're my competition. Control, critique. We're literally incapable of honoring others because in some twisted way, it threatens us in our sense of well-being. And this emptiness in us will will raise its ugly head and it'll make us do one of two things. We'll grab onto each other like leeches and be like, feed me your life because I am empty. And when I leave, you're gonna be like, oh, I'm drained after being with that person. Or it's going to make us Step on others in some way. We leave a conversation and be like, oh, that person makes me crazy because they always talk about blah, blah, blah. Because we're empty Christians behaving badly. And when I'm living empty, pride and insecurity just run rampant in my soul. It's like a pride, like a Band-Aid. Like if you had a gaping wound of of emptiness and you just put a Band-Aid over it, that's what pride is. It's this front that we put on because down inside there's just so much that we're needing. We're we're so empty on the inside that we just put on this front. And I was thinking of the the famous passage. You already know it, James four ten. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You might know the old King James Version we used to sing. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Do you know that song? And he will lift you up. We're like, yeah, he will lift us up. But it it begins with humility. And I was thinking this week that it could have also said, humble yourselves before the Lord and you'll be able to honor others. Then I read the next verse and I was like, wow, that's kind of what he says. But he says in the negative, he says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. So humility and honor are connected. Context, and I was looked up, verse one and two, He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Get this, you want what you don't have. You're empty. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. And he's talking to Christians. Empty Christians behaving badly. See, without the fullness of Jesus, we can't do a little thing like just encourage a person. The gospel says this, it's the good news. You're deeply loved. You're fully accepted. Not because you're awesome. Because Jesus loves you so much that he stepped in on your behalf, took the penalty of your sin, absorbed it into himself, taking the punishment, settling it forever so that God can smile on you without seeing all the junk. You're clothed in him. deeply loved, fully accepted, gifted by the Holy Spirit, you're free to honor others. So let's just ask the question of our souls. Am I free enough to honor people? Husbands and wives, let's be honest. Sometimes the, 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 the deepest place where this gets revealed is in the, in the heat of our, our relationships and conflicts and things and the stuff that comes out of us, and it's like, ah, uh, I can't encourage you right now. I just want to squash you, <laughs> right? I want to control you. And he says, no, no. Take the lead in honoring one another. So my friends, these are little things Praying, persisting in prayer, devoting ourselves to it. Not just saying, I'll pray for you, but actually praying for one another. It's the simple things, little things of wise action and gracious gracious speech amongst non-believers. And it's a little thing of just being able to encourage and honor the people around us. And so today, I want to ask you, are you full enough to do the little things? Are you full enough to do the little things? And if the honest answer is like, not really, then let's do business right now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin churchorg